Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. What's going on, guys? Before we get into today's podcast episode, I wanted to give you a quick update on the Ready Eddy membership program. To this point, we've grown to have thousands of products from up-and-coming startups and small businesses in the outdoor travel and lifestyle space on the platform. You can save up to 50% off all of these products, anything from skis to jackets to food bars to supplements. Anything you could think of to support your outdoor activities is on the platform from small up-and-coming brands. It's a great opportunity to support small businesses while also discovering brands that you've never heard of. You can show off the new gear to your friends and also save a ton while doing it. If you're interested in checking it out, head over to readyeddy.com slash members to get your first month free. This podcast episode was originally recorded on January 16th, 2008. Since Demos Collective is a part of our current camping gear giveaway, we wanted to bring this episode back from our archives. We've cleaned up the audio a bit and hope that you enjoy this episode with founder Susan Piper talking about how and why she started Demos Collective. What is going on, Ready Eddie Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. And on today's episode, I'm sitting down with the founder of Demos Collective, Susan Piper. Susan, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Without a doubt. So for the listener that may not be familiar with Demos Collective, how would you best describe your business to someone who's never heard of you? Sure. I mean, basically, I tell people that uh, we make hardware for out there. And then, of course, they say, well, what does that mean? And I say, listen, how many times have you brought a, you know, a shovel, a snow shovel or a garden rake and felt like it was a dumbed down version uh, not unlike a children's plaything, like a plastic, you know, bucket and scoop used on the beach. And they go, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Plus, I've broken at least, you know, five shovels. I go, OK, well, then Demos exists to solve the problem of creating tools that are really purpose built, that are also built to last, that you can take with you on all of your adventures. And we just basically have have uh, looked at the entire lawn and garden tool space and believe that it's not built for the way people per- currently live. So these are people who are out there, whether they're outdoorsmen or hunters or backcountry skiers or snowboarders or snowmobilers. You know, at a certain point, you need tools to do real work. And uh, existing tools don't meet that need because they're either plastic and they break or they're too small if they're emergency tools. And so we fill a market need that no one even knew that they had. And um, when I start to explain it to people, people's, you know, sort of eyes light up and you can tell that a light bulb bulb goes off in their head. And I say, you know, for example, we make the shovel that you've always wanted to keep in your car all winter long that you never knew that you needed. But like, you know, it's the perfect tool for anybody who ventures out into snow country. Everyone should have one in their car. Yeah, that's how I describe the business. It's great. I love it. It's uh, it's a great idea specifically because um, everyone knows that feeling, especially if you live in cold climates and you're dealing with in the East Coast where it gets so icy and snow can just become bulletproof. <laughs> Having a good shovel. I've broken probably like 15 shovels <laughs> in my life trying to either shovel my car out, shovel my driveway or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, it really is obviously a great idea. Now, how, how did you get into this? What, what really led you to starting Demos? 
Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. So um, the bottom line is that I had been there. There is a story that um, you you can find uh, basically has happened before. I'm not the first person that has happened to. So I was a sailor for over 20, uh, 20 years and I sailed over 10,000 ocean miles and I lived always on the coast. I was in California for a long time and then on the East Coast for a long time, you know, based out of Long Island Sound. And what happens is people who have been sailors tend to at a certain point move to the mountains as I did. But because I'd been a sailor, I'd bought everything at least, you know, West Marine at least twice, you know, and it was basically like you need gear when you are in the middle of the ocean that doesn't fail, that is absolutely, you know, built to last and that it, that you can repair and, you know, that effectively can really count on. So when I moved to the mountains, you know, the analog for me was I could really see that, you know, people were needing shovels and shovels were like the worst garden hose or like the worst tool ever, you know, like the, like a, if it would be unacceptable in the boating world, if you had a boat hook that broke all the time that you used it, but shovel tools were like that. They were just unacceptably weak. They were unacceptably built for what people were doing with them and for taking them with them. And so it was really the mindset that I had about having to make purchase decisions about gear to be completely self-reliant that helped me understand that I wanted to start Demos. I just thought that it was a, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, it was changing the world one tool at a time, because I think that we will save our planet by getting out there and appreciating it more. And now that I'm mountain-based and not ocean-based, a lot of that exploration is on forest service, service roads, and really about getting out into the land and these beautiful public lands we have and national forests, um, to me, are like, you know, the, the open landscape of the ocean. And so I just think that the tools that we take with us have to be super strong. So you, you moved from the, the shore to Jackson Hole. Did you originally go to Jackson Hole or did, is that sort of where you eventually ended up? Yeah, we uh, we moved here straight away from having lived in uh, coastal communities and basically spending time on the coast. Yeah, not a, not a bad place to pick <laughs> and start a, an outdoor business. I'm sure it's been it's been great having that community behind you to really help uh, build the business. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the people here certainly inspire what we do, and they absolutely are, you know, uh, tough critics and, you know, fantastic um, customers because uh, people here live in a way in which, you know, getting out there is a part of the daily rhythm. Um, uh, you know, it's it's tricky to be in a ski town, too. I mean, I used to live in big, you know, big cities and work. I, you know, worked in consumer products and I worked in tech before I started demos. Um, but so what's, what can be tricky here is that you can feel so out of the flow by, you know, being pedal to the metal, you know, with a startup company and really driving a company just because you feel like other people are really, you know, out there recreating and you're missing out. Maybe it's just my FOMO that causes me to think that, but, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a different life. It's different rhythm for sure to be running a startup from a mountain town. Of course. Now, did you always know that you wanted to start a business going from being a, uh, on the sea for 20 years and then now running your own business? While I'm sure there are a lot of similarities because you have to make decisions, right? And um, they're very important. And I just want to know, did you always have this um, sort of in you to start your own business? Yeah, I mean, I think I did, Josh. I think that um, the way I like to look at it is that for a long time, 
you know, I had been, you know, kind of first mate and I did some, I skippered some major ocean passages and, you know, really learned what it meant to sort of be like, okay, look, this is, you know, my boat, you know, when you, when you take the helm, I'm not in a Captain Bly way, but really in the way of owning uh, the responsibility. Um, and, you know, I'd been in my career in a variety of different situations where I'd been part of teams that had been very successful, but it wasn't my team. And I just knew that, you know, um, I'm sort of one of those people who blends business and outdoor pursuits in a way that if I wasn't doing my business, I'd be doing seven summits. So I'm very clear if I wasn't doing my business, I'd be sailing around the world. Like I just have that kind of like, I have to kind of do things. Um, and so I reached a point where I recognized that my seventh summit bid or pitch, if you will, would be to grow a brand, um, that this is what I wanted to do and that a boat in the harbor safe, but that's not what it's made for. So I was fully down with, uh, starting Demos just because it was what I always dreamed I wanted to do. Yeah, and a life well lived should be, you know, one in which you explore your dreams. Of course, I, I totally agree with that. All right, so you move up to Jackson Hole and you you get this idea. Now, how did you go about prototyping the first model and, and really getting it to the point where you were confident in saying that this this shovel is literally going to be the best shovel you'll ever use? Oh, that's a great question. So, um, in 2015. Um, I, uh, really started by setting a smaller goal, not starting a, you know, goal of starting a company, but setting a smaller goal, which was, I just wanted to bring a product to market. And at the time, the first product we made, which was, which is today known as the stealth shovel, we called the kicker tool. And we knew that it would be purpose built for people who go into the back country to build, you know, the perfect jump, a kicker, uh, whether they're snowmobiling snowboarding or skiing people like to get air so we just came live with that product and i collaborated with a local product design pro named jack kohler who had built four other shovels under different brands and he did the product design engineering um, helped us locate a, man a uh, manufacturer uh, i put together the marketing campaign behind our first kickstarter and we came to market really as a crowdfunding you know uh crowdfunded um, success story, uh, with, a, with one tool. And, you know, at the, it was at the end of that campaign. And after we fulfilled the backers, um, rewards that we really started to say, well, wait a minute, you know, was this just, you know, kind of a one hit wonder? Did we just pull together a great band to kind of make one thing or do we really have something here? And from that moment on, when we began to say, no, no, we've got something here because other people want this too, we really began the process in earnest of building a company. So it didn't start that way, but it became that way, if that it, makes sense. Of course. It's amazing how Kickstarter can really catapult an idea into, into a legitimate business. It gives you that, that ultimate proof of concept. So you, you had that first Kickstarter campaign. Uh, and you worked with Travis Rice on that, which I'm sure was uh, great in helping you get the exposure out there. And you raised over $36,000. Um, and then uh, part two, you come out with the Alpha Shovel and you run another campaign and raise over $170,000 for that one. Was there anything like in between those two campaigns that you really uh, did that really helped you set yourself up so that you could have such a successful second campaign with the Alpha Shovel? Uh, that's a great question. Um, 
You know, we did a lot of uh, we did a lot of work between the two campaigns, um, trying to understand. You know, it was the first time that I really, honestly, it was between the two campaigns. It was at, you know, if you think about it, we were already in the market making tools. That I first really began to study other companies that made tools and understand the shortcomings. I really did the market positioning work around our company and our brand between the two campaigns. So it was that time that I began to understand that there were really large industrial companies that make uh, tools and they mostly make them in Asia and they order, you know, 50, 100,000 units of each shape, you know, at a time in a big cargo container and it comes over from China and lands in the port of Los Angeles and it is distributed to warehouses, you know, sort of all around the world. And I was like, wow, I do not want to be in that business. Um, but then I noticed that there were smaller companies in the tool space that made some interesting tools that I certainly liked, but that I was noticing that there was some trend toward portability. Um, I think that uh, Demos is at the forefront of this trend, but there certainly are a few other companies that are at the forefront of portability. And when we really could combine sort of portability with what we saw as there was no premium player, just as in Yeti Cooler space, they said, look, the camper cooler market doesn't have anything that's really built to last. We basically looked at it and said, we're going to make something that's built to last that, you know, we don't use bear proof testing. We run over our shovels with trucks. But Combining the portability with the built to last really was came out of our market research and our real study of our space. And that's kind of what happened between the first and the second campaign, I think, that really helped us understand where we were headed and um, and, and really to build products that have been incredibly successful at meeting customers' needs from, you know, whether it's somebody who's just shoveling their driveway, their sidewalk or their deck to an over-the-road trucker to uh, someone who works in a property management firm or does, um, you know, uh, maintenance and snow removal. All of those people are now our customers. And we kind of learned about meeting their needs in between the first two campaigns. That's all it is. It's all about learning and adapting. And, and I love the fact that you're branching out into other demographics, not just the snow sports, because really anyone who comes in, in uh, contact with the, with the elements in snow it really needs a good shovel, right? Uh, regardless of what yeah. it is that they're yeah. doing. Um, so, yeah, and ice too. You mentioned yeah, ice. It's, it's, exactly. It's, uh, <laughs> very few people built shovels specifically for ice. It's almost like uh, the polyurethane, you know, ABS plastic sh snow shovel of yesterday was, you know, in a world of, you know, two inches of powder on an asphalt driveway. And people just don't live like that anymore. I mean, yeah. most people get out 530 in the morning and they're already driving over their snow. And then they've got to deal with, you know, getting up uh, ice and, um, you know, and it's just relentless. And you yeah, need the right people. Really do. It reminds me, I live in New York City and I, I have a car with me <laughs> in the city. And like two years ago, it snowed like 18 inches or something like that in New York. And the day after the snowstorm, it went up to like 42 degrees and then plummeted to like 10 for like two weeks straight. And the way New York City works, and I now learned this after this incident, is the plows angle to the right. <laughs> so all the cars on the right side of the street get buried in snow. And my car was, of course, parked on the right side of the street. Um, and then once the temperature went above freezing, then went below, my car was basically in, in a cement block of snow. <laughs> and I broke, wow. I broke three shovels trying to get my car out. It was unbelievable. Right. And I'm like, I wish I had this at that current moment because it would have saved me a lot of trouble. <laughs> yes. 
That is so true. And by the way, anybody that ever travels in snow country and goes off the side of the road, like on an interstate, you know, again, it's the same issue with plows. You know, it, snow sets up on the side of the road when it's been plowed. You know, it tends to be, you know, denser. It loses its powdery or crystalline structure and it becomes like concrete. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. insane. It's insane. Um, so I want to ask It's a you, different you- material altogether. That's why we have teeth on our shovels, by the way, because the teeth are extremely effective at cutting through hard pack. And, you know, if you think about that, that might have been a. Uh, you know, we got lucky, right? Because we built the teeth originally for those backcountry guys to basically build the perfect kicker and to groom the jump using the teeth, just like you would with a terrain tool. But it turns out that the teeth ended up being, you know, sort of the secret sauce that made the shovels effective for any type of, you know, home or DIY or snow removal application. So, you know, I'm just so grateful that that that, that worked. <laughs> that, that worked <laughs> yeah. that way. Yeah, that's a good feeling. That's that's awesome. Now, when you started this, did you you obviously ran the Kickstarter campaigns, which were obviously successful, but did you bootstrap most of the business or did you bring in uh, investors to really help you get things rolling? Yeah, so I started it. Uh, I bootstrapped it, and I started it from scratch using my own capital and you know to fund these Kickstarters and to really start the business. I have subsequently in this last year brought on some outside investors because we're starting to really grow and scale a company. Um, but yeah, to get the whole thing started, I took the risk and, um, you know, I feel like, um, I've been kind of responsible that way. I made sure on my own nickel that things really were, uh, going to be a go and commercially viable before, you know, asking for anyone to invest in the business. And, and I think that, um, it made it a lot easier. It's never easy to raise capital, but it made it a lot easier for sure. Yeah. And and I think another good point that you you're sort of touching on is the fact that like once you get to the point of scaling, it's really hard to scale unless you have capital specifically in a in a product where you're where you're developing and manufacturing a product. Right. Because you you sort of need you need to spend the money to build the product and then you sell it. (laughs) So it, it and if you have that rapid growth, you can get in the situations where, you know, the money just sort of disappears. (laughs) Right. Right. No, that's absolutely true. Which can be so scary and and definitely difficult to manage. So I I guess really what I'm asking, I want to ask you, is: did you have any mentors that really helped you through this process and and understanding um, and really figuring out how to build a business that's grown so quickly? Yeah, I definitely did. Um, I am super blessed to, to tell you that I have had, I've worked with some incredible people in my career and I... I feel so incredibly um, grateful that when I've asked for help or advice, people have taken my call. And a couple people really stand out in particular. Um, I went to graduate school. I went to business school on the East Coast. And one of my business school classmates is a professional venture capitalist, doesn't invest in my sector, invests in another sector, and has been available to me throughout all of 2017 on a text basis and sort of will pick up my phone and, you know, talk me through, really help me think through what it meant to do an outside raise and how to go about that and coached me. It's just been phenomenal Um, because unless you have done something exactly like what you're doing before, you know, you really do need a coach. You need, uh, you know, it takes many and many people to build a company like this. And it's certainly, I have had a lot of help from a lot of fantastic people um, who I've been lucky enough to know and work with previously in my career. So I'm just so grateful. 
yeah, I, it, having good teachers really are important to help you uh, help you from reinventing the wheel, <laughs> or at least yeah. giving you some semblance of a wheel so you can sort of take it and run with it. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to talk a little bit about the culture behind Demo. So we, we're talking a little bit offline how you've got five full-time Empl- uh, uh, team members and uh, five part-time contractors. Uh, I want to ask sort of what the average day looks like uh, at Demos. Oh, great question. Um, so, um, well, the average day has really changed a lot since uh, Labor Day of this year. We finally moved out of my house. Um, the entire start of the business truly was, it was like a garage business. In fact, there still are shovels all over my garage and you know, a, uh, a warehouse table and shelving, et cetera, in my garage. So that's, that's of course how it started. But since Labor Day, we moved into pretty modest, you know, um, uh, office building, uh, in downtown Jackson and, you know, the day typically starts early and the team works in, uh, two offices. There's, you know, five of us and we have two offices. So you can imagine that there's either two or three people in each office that you're in and we move around a lot. There's no fixed workstation. So sometimes I'm in the conference room and sometimes I'm in sort of the quiet office, depending on my day. And, um, you know, we, uh, we work together closely as a team. We collaborate, we, uh, you know, we have ad hoc meetings, we have one-on-one meetings, uh, we have conference call, you know, we, we, we finally got the two key things for our office where we got a polycom so we can have conference calls and then we got a, uh, smart TV so that we can screen share and do conference calls, you know, like Google Hangouts or a Zoom conference call, you know, with anyone anywhere around the world. And that helps us be connected. And, um, you know, of course, you can see shovels along one wall when we're on the conference room phone because we have that as, as, as well as our, uh, you know, corporate headquarters has our, you know, current product line on display. So that's basically what it looks like. You know, it's a super hardworking team that runs fairly fluidly, um, but runs hard every day. That's awesome. Uh, it, you know, building that strong culture when you're first starting out is it's really important and it's sort of, uh, I wouldn't say it's not necessarily a priority, but when building a startup, it's always like hectic because you're doing a million things. So I always love to ask uh, the founders of like, hey, what does that culture look like? Because I, I, I think it's a really nice insight into how a business really functions, right? And what their priorities are. So uh, I appreciate you for sharing that. Um, now, I want to talk, take a pivot and talk a little bit about um, uh, the growth over time. What would you attribute? Uh, is there anything in particular that you would really attribute the the growth to? Because obviously, you're still pretty young and you've, you've experienced an obscene amount of growth. You were named uh, Female Entrepreneur of the, of the Year last year. Um, is there anything in particular marketing strategy-wise that you would attribute a lot of your success to? Well, first of all, it's, you're you're super sweet to say that I uh, was named Female Entrepreneur of the Year. Um, I think that the Female Entrepreneur of the Year award is actually given given away by Ernst and Young, um, and I did not win that. <laughs> so, just to be perfectly clear, I was not in running for that. Those companies, I think, at a minimum, have to have a couple million in revenue, and we're not quite there yet. But I did win a Stevie Award, um, and the right. Stevie Award. Uh, it was for consumer products companies one to ten, and I also won a local, uh, you know, the pitch day here in Jackson Hole 
Um, and uh, so, you know, a couple of things like that for sure. Um, Just a few so, minor details missing from that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh, certainly wouldn't want to inflate it. Um, so what was the second half of your question? What would you, is there anything in particular marketing wise that you did that you feel really helped catapult the growth? Um, well, you know, we did a partnership this past fall with Warren Miller. Uh, we were embedded in their, uh, uh, line of descent film tour, uh, which was in, um, over a hundred markets and, um, I think 60,000 people went to see the films. Um, so that was a big promo. I think working with Travis Rice was a big marketing promotion that really helped get us on the map. Um, I think that we, uh, we were for a while really, really embedded with, uh, new schoolers magazine and did a big promotion with them, um, which targeted, uh, free skiers and the people that want to be like them in terms of building the backcountry jump. Um, and you know, we just continue to do stuff with, uh, lots of exciting partners all the time, um, including you guys, Ready Yeti. So, um, yeah, I think that, uh, I'd say if you take all of those together, that probably helped us really build a lot of momentum in the marketplace. Yeah. Having strong partnerships are really, really, really important. Um, what would you say has been one of the, one of the hardest parts about starting demos? Um, I think two things. I think that, um, one, it just takes a tremendous amount of energy. I think that it's hard to underestimate, um, how hard you have to go for how long you have to go. You know, I mean, how many days, weeks, years, quite frankly, you can really run like having a day job and a night job, um, and not having vacation and not being able to step away from the business. You know, it's, it's been two and a half years, um, you know, where it's just been relentless, really almost going on three. And, um, and a lot of people just aren't up for that from an endurance standpoint and, you know, life happens, you know? And so, you know, you got a, your, your family, you know, relationships and stuff are kind of all going on while you're doing all of this. And, you know, people get, uh, you know, people in your life can get, uh, frustrated that, you know, the answer is always that you're working on a startup and that, you know, your energy is really focused on your startup. Um, you know, I've seen friends, you know, I don't get the same calls I used to before I was working on Demos, you know, to even consider going out, you know, uh, during the day for a hike or into the park or whatever, because people know, of course, I won't do it. So I'd say the first one is that it's the energy. The second thing I think is, it's just the human piece is that getting the team right is so difficult uh, that early on, um, I did struggle with a couple of hires and, you know, people are not with me who, who once were. And in some ways, some of those folks, you know, I look nostalgically upon and sort of say, gee, I wish, you know, I'd been able to retain them. You know, they went on and did great things. And in other cases, uh, you know, people, you know, really weren't the right energy to resonate with what we were doing and wanted something different for the business or wanted something different for themselves than I was able to give. So it's been, I'd say, a fascinating journey. Um, hard. Uh, those two pieces are hard. Um, you know, it's always the people piece, I guess. Energy, people, you know, we're just human beings. Yeah, you know, the, the people part of it, really, no one really teaches you that. Like in no educational format, and I guess you really can't because there's really 
I guess the best preparation for it is like your relationship life, (laughs) you know, uh, your dating life and like figuring out what, who you're compatible with and what you're looking for. It's like the same thing, whether it's a co-founder or someone to add to your team, right? Because you're looking for specific attributes that really complement what you have to offer, right? You don't want someone who's equally as good at you at the same things and just as shitty at you at at other things, right? Because then you'll both have the same weaknesses and you won't get anything done. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, I, I've had that struggle too. Um, my partners and I with sort of trying to figure that out and it, it'll always be a challenge. And as you grow, the challenges will sort of change, uh, which is part of the fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's the people piece. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we make shovels and we make amazing shovels, but it's, Every single touch point, every single interaction, you know, with your team, with your customers, with your partners, and, you know, just trying to show up every day as your best self um, and, um, and get into alignment, you know, with your team so that, you know, other people I work with treat people the way I treat people. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. It's, it's funny how shovel business is a people business. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It really is. Um, What would you say? Are some and you you've touched on this a little bit. What would you say, or were some of the biggest mistakes that you've made with Demos so far? Um, I have one. Um, okay, so um, we got very excited in 2017 after the Alpha campaign, um, and we um, had a dream that you know, we would run like, you know, how Nike ID with the shoes. Now, you know, Nike ID with the shoes, you know, I don't know how many years Nike's been in business, but probably like 30, <laughs> like, like a 30-year-old business decides to say, you can pick your own lace, you can pick your own, you know, last, you can pick, you know, the color of the swoosh. And, you know, we were like, hey, we want to do that too. Now we were only a two-year-old business, right? And so we got into this whole thing in 2017 where it looked on the surface like operationally we were going to be able to offer, you know, the most customizable shovel ever, like pick your shaft, pick your blade, and oh, by the way, we're going to die sublimate them, and oh, by the way, you know, we want to innovate shapes. What I guess I'm getting at is I deeply did not understand how a young company cannot expand that fast in, uh, in variance, in product variance. And what ended up happening was that, um, unsurprisingly, I suppose, for anybody who's been in a manufacturing business before, um, is that, you know, we ran into production issues along those lines where, you know, it was a very big strain on us uh, to try to achieve quality across all those different colorways. It was a huge strain as we moved manufacturing from Asia to the U.S., then to repeat that complexity in the U.S. And in fact, we found that we were unable to do, to do so. So this fall, one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do was get in touch with a bunch of crowdfunding backers and say, hey, you know, we know we asked you if you'd like to have this blue shovel with the clear blade, but unfortunately we're unable to produce that colorway and we've got these three colorways and which would you prefer? And it just felt, it just felt hard. It was really hard. It was, 
I don't like to overpromise and underdeliver. And it was a difficult, difficult phase that we went through where we were reducing complexity in the U.S. to keep product quality high at the same time as having to communicate back to people that we just told that we were going to do all these different variants and colors and sort of our version of the Nike ID. So, you know, it was definitely egg on phase. Definitely. Definitely a humbling moment, for sure. It was amazing how many people, though, kind of forgave us. And I felt like gave us a little bit of an girl, like, you know, like, hey, you guys will get it. We get it. You know, we understand what you're saying. Um, I felt very supported through that, maybe because we were just super honest. Honestly, transparency is one of the best things that you could do, especially now, because they're like people are so used to getting taken advantage of <laughs> um, that when a business is overly transparent, they're always like, oh, yeah, no, that's fine. That's totally fine. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> you're like, I just told you what you originally bought isn't all you can't do that. And here's why. But I explained it. And you're you're being very understanding. <laughs> it's sort of surprising. But um, transparency has become it's very important. It's one of the reasons why we started Ready Yeti is so that people could buy from brands that are transparent, like like you at Demos. Um, so I, I think that's really important. And like you said, it's a great learning experience. Yeah, it, it, it has been. Um, it's such a journey. I mean, you'd be surprised how many times I have um, customers who will um, either call the office and pick up and be surprised that, you know, like, wow, you know, this is your company and you're picking up the phone. I'm like, yeah, in fact, if you want to show me whatever you've got going on with your shovel, let's just get on Google Hangouts and let me see what you got. You know? <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. I love it. But it, it just is. It is a, you know, we are, I, I wake up in the morning and I'm very clear that all I know is that we're going to make mistakes. The question isn't that we're going to make, whether we're going to make mistakes. The question is, what are we going to do about it? And how fast can we grow and learn? And how much kind of integrity can we bring to that so that, you know, um, you know, that, 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 that we treat people right, you know, like, I know we're going to make mistakes. So it's just like, how do we, knowing that, how do we do it in a way that we meet, we meet our customers' needs if, if you got to exceed their customers' needs? I consider that we are in a product as a service business. I call it product as a service because it's the experience. I want the experience of owning a Demos tool to be amazing. It's not just the tool. I want the experience of it. Yeah, that's uh, that. You're so right, and it, it's something that is incredibly important. And I, I love that you guys are doing it, and I, th I, I'm really excited to see what you guys do uh, in the future. And, and I know we're getting close on time, but I got one last question. I just want to know, uh, sure. what, what's in store with the future with Demos? Uh, where, where do you see it going in the next year, five years, ten years? If you've thought about it. Yeah, I mean, I have a dream. Um, and that is that we do get to build out this full, you know, I love Nike, and I love Nike ID. And I would love to be able to build Demos into, you know, um, uh, a, a suite of tools that take over your garage that are all, you know, beautifully built and interchangeable. Um, and, you know, that, that there is some element of customization. I love customization. 
I love personal expression. I love beautifully made things. So I think that if you take all of that together, there's this element of, and when I say take over your garage, it's not for stuff to stay in your garage. It's for them to, you know, go with you. It's just that, you know, um, things that you want to bring in your vehicle, things that you want to have in your, you know, your camping, you know, gear, um, you know, stuff for snow removal, stuff for building jumps, you know, just, I just think that there's this element of beautifully made gear in the traditionally known as lawn and garden tool space that we will ultimately completely reimagine. And that excites me. And, you know, my mentors, uh, you know, not mentors, but I guess I would say the people I admire are people like Yvonne Chouinard or Doug Tompkins or Ray Anderson from uh, Interface Carpet. You know, it's just this constant thing around for me that products shouldn't just be products as part of our old consumption paradigm, but that products really should be built to last so that, you know, the impact and the footprint that we leave on this planet is just lighter. So I want us to be able to tread lighter. I want us to be able to have the right tool. I want these tools to be built to last. And, you know, I want to do so in a way that just has a huge amount of integrity. So from the products to how we treat each other, to how we treat the planet, that's my goal. And that's why I really wanted to do Demos and build this company. I love it. Uh, Susan, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast and share your story and share what you guys are up to at Demos. But for, for the listener that wants to keep tabs on, on everything that you're doing going forward, where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, so they should just uh, jump on over to our, a uh, couple different ways. They should jump on over to our uh, uh, Facebook, uh, you know, follow us, Instagram, you know, follow us and go to our website at demoscollective.com. And that's D-M-O-S collective.com and uh, join our mailing list. And, you know, um, we'd love to have uh, your support, have you part of the tribe. Tell us what you think. Um, it would be, it would be amazing. And you never know, you can call the office and maybe I'll answer. <laughs> so I, I do that a lot, actually. Um, you it. didn't ask me a question, Josh, that I know that people want to know the answer to. I think people always want to know why are we called Demos? Yes. You know, I was actually just thinking about that when you were, when, when you were answering that question. Um, so yeah, I would love for you to share, um, with the audience why you guys are called Demos. Okay. So it's because Demos is actually an acronym that stands for do my own stuff. Um, or actually my son would say, um, do my own and it would be, you know, um, <laughs> sage asterisk T shall we say. But anyway, the point is that it was really because the shovel tools, shovels are never really owned. You know, like if you think about a traditional job site, the joke is always that, you know, like, Hey, what tool never gets stolen from a job site? You know, you know, answer the shovel. And it's just because people leave that stuff laying around, you know? And so we made gear that is your personal gear. It's do my own stuff. It's like taking your own pocket knife or having your own, you know, hatchet or you have your own backpack, you know, uh, you have your own sleeping bag, you know? So it's just this, this whole idea that these are tools that are about big experiencing experiences, empowering adventures, and they're your own gear. So that's why we call the company Demos. It really is about um, tools that become gear. I love it. It's one of the best uh, stories I've ever heard for, for the name of a company. Um, and, and for the Thank listener who, who's, um, 
who's listening to this between January 16th and February 20th, we're actually going to be giving away um, some product from Demo. So you can head over to readyeddy.com and enter for your chance to win. We're going to be giving away a ton of gear from Demos and a number of other startups. Um, so if you want to head over and check that out. And with that, Susan, again, I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm really excited to see what you guys do in the future. Thank you. I really appreciate your interest in us, Josh. And we're excited to be working with you guys. I love what you're doing at Ready Yeti. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Yeti Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.